Hello everyone, and welcome to the Cartoncast. My name is Ben. My name is Zane. And this is another unusual formatted episode. We're not back onto the research game yet. We're more of the, uh, maybe talk about, uh, Hunter x Hunter for an hour and a half <laughs> and vaguely remember weird bits about it and, and talk to you kind of style of Cartoncast. Yeah, so normally when you do research, you look into the show, you see how it is from an artistic standpoint, from a production standpoint. We both just pulled up Harley Quinn on Wikipedia, <laughs> so that's kind of, that's what you're getting. Right, we're doing Harley Quinn today. Now, I have an intrinsic fairly thorough knowledge of the DC universe, mm. so that will aid me. And we have actually done um, Batman the Animated Series before, so this is a reheated segment where we're looking at a character that originated there. Technically. I think you're a little bit more familiar with the old Harley Quinn d- stuff, uh, and I'm a little bit more familiar with the 2019, uh, 2019 um, cartoon, which we uh, currently watch together. Mm. Uh, yeah. And then you have watched for the first time, so I guess to start with, let me just uh, let me just ask you, what were your overall impressions of the 2019 Harley Quinn show? Yeah, so it was actually like way better than I thought it was going to be. What do you? What were you like? Because I, I didn't I didn't set you up to expect anything. I just gave it my seal of approval and handed it off, kind of. Yeah. So you know, I, I had seen her a little bit in the original Batman the Animated Series, and like she suited that time but that was you know almost 30 years ago now Mm -hmm. um and my my understanding of her from a modern perspective you know some of the comics but but mostly the uh, 2016 movie suicide squad which i didn't see but kind of informed our understanding of this character you know the modern design the costume that everyone's cosplaying as these days um and so i figured okay this is going to be just sort of a wild and crazy arbiter of chaos, you know, Joker type, um, it, based on the one from that movie. It's so hard. I didn't watch that movie. Uh, it is so hard. But in her, you know, 80s incarnation or whatever. Um, 90, yeah. 90s incarnation. It is impossible to talk about her without talking about Joker in the same breath. Mm-hmm. And uh, historically, that is because she was there as a kind of a foil more like a like a sidekick or a sidekick plus sidekick plus i i think that she was originally designed to like show just how charismatic joker was Mm -hmm. and uh the idea of a psychologist trying to figure out why he's so insane and becoming insane herself it feels like harley quinn is more a commentary on joker than a character in and of herself as she was originally envisioned yeah, but uh, I I'm kind of with you in that I didn't realize how popular she was getting in recent times. It didn't. I didn't get it. Yeah, uh, I know that famously, Kevin Smith I think named one of uh, her one of his daughters uh, <laughs> Harley or Harleen or something like that. That's not surprising. No, that fits that fits the moment. That man's in on any joke. Yeah, um, but it's not a. Uh, so I was coming to it fairly... Like, I didn't watch it for a while. I came to it not expecting great things, but, you know, it, this is this is common. DC, terrible movies. Awful. Excellent animated series. Fantastic. So there was every reason that I should like this, excepting that it was about Harley Quinn. Yeah. Turns out not to matter. Yeah, because... Not, that's an odd issue. <laughs> yeah. So She's a totally fine character they, in her they, own right. So this show started in uh, 2019. It's still going. There's a couple seasons out at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to do a third at least. 
And then um, when it started, they reached out to Margot Robbie, who was the actress who played Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad, and she said, no, I'm going to be doing Birds of Prey, uh, the movie with the female DC superhero or supervillain group, super people group, um, which I I enjoyed the comics of Birds of Prey, but um, didn't see that movie either. And so they, they got someone else, and so I think that freed them up a little bit to take things in a very different direction, a direction that really leans into both um, the the humor of it and the wildness. You know, any Batman adaptation, as we've seen before, if you don't take it too seriously, you can go in a lot more directions than when you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, as a DC fanboy, like, there's a lot of deep stuff in here that I love seeing. Like, there in were in the show of, itself? A lot of candy for the fans. Oh, yeah. They're, like, everything uh, about uh, Commissioner Gordon and Batgirl, <laughs> um, all of that stuff. There was uh, a lot of Bane, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, you know, you know, a lot of like reaching out to bit players and mm-hmm. random things. Yeah, and like, like in the first episode, um, like uh, when we when we encounter Doctor Psycho, right? And when we were <laughs> who watching is, this, is famously an anti-feminist well, character. Well, that's the thing; he's from not the that comics. famous. Like, he's one of Wonder Woman's villains, but she's not nearly as pos- popular now. as uh, Superman and, and Batman. Infamous, I suppose. And so, you know, when when that scene opened, I was like, "Oh, Doctor Psycho! He hates women!" <laughs> like, that's what I knew it's about. Exactly him from what my you told you said it, and then he drops the C bomb, and you're like, "Ah, oh, I see what they're doing." Here. Oh, they know too. They they get. <laughs> they didn't it. just pick out a guy who looked funny. <laughs> and you know, they have Kite Man as like a main mm-hmm. of a semi main character, and. He he is constantly doing his comic book catchphrase, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Kite man, hell yeah. Which, to this point, to this day, whenever I hear the phrase hell yeah, I immediately think kite man. <laughs> and, but, the, but it goes to very, like, um, like, uh, uh, oh, what's the word? Really obscure stuff as well. So, like, one of the villains who shows up sometimes, the Queen of Fables. A bit villain who has showed up in a couple of Justice League comics... But they know the lore. They know that in the Justice League comics, they fought her. She was very powerful. And then they trapped her in the U.S. tax code. And that's where we encounter her in this. That's I'm like, very funny. How did... I know how I knew that. Because when you grow up reading the same comics over and over, you, you, you remember certain things. But how did they know that? Like, they must have cared a lot. Yeah, when she showed up, we had, like, two uh, reactions to it. One of them was like, oh, that's totally why they put her in the tax code is there was so little imagination that she couldn't do anything about it. And the second being, this is deliciously portrayed by Wanda Sykes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah point, of, point of order, the voice acting in this is fucking incredible. Yeah, they've got a lot of like good voice acting talent, and then even the less well-known names like give very good performances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's some of it that's just like very mimetic and very uh, quotable quotes. You know, and pretty much like right from the first episode when Commissioner Gordon is like likening <laughs> Harley to a cancer. This is like, now you've gotten to its lungs and God help me if you get to its bladder. Yeah. Like this is the nice thing is like there's been so many different Batmans um, and, and takes on Batman over the years that if you're doing a parody series or, or just a very heavily comedic series, you can draw from all of them. And the characters, you can be like... Commissioner Gordon taking this way too seriously and and being completely impotent about what he's doing works so well. And like being emotionally <laughs> crippled through yeah. through all the bullshit that the job puts him through. And and Batman being like, you know, 
like 50 years older than he actually is <laughs> like he, he's just yeah. not built for this world that he's in right now it he, works it's interesting because like uh it would be very easy for batman to come off in a way that is distinctly non-batman he still feels like batman in this mm-hmm. uh he doesn't feel like a comedic character he's not like a batmite right. or something it's uh it's still batman but they know how to play up his seriousness as a foil to the silliness to where it's still funny. Yeah. So, like, he the, the silliest he gets is, like, he comes over to Damien and is like, I made you some grilled cheese. You didn't make it. Alfred made it. I made him make it. <laughs> just, like, this very weak defense. And, and that's as com- comedic as he gets. Usually he's just very, you know, uh, very, very stoic. But yeah. In the bullshit world of Harley Quinn, that seriousness takes on a comedic edge that doesn't feel uh, doesn't feel non-Batman. Mm-hmm. Like so, all of the beloved properties can still be beloved. They're just interpreted in such a way that the comedy comes out. Yeah, it's it's almost like a fan fiction by people who really cared about it. Where like, um, yeah, we have uh, Damian Wayne as Robin, and he comes in, and he's so well um, so well realized that. Just by the way he acted and spoke, I knew immediately which Robin he was <laughs> without them saying it. Yeah. Um, but also, they're in situations that would not come up were this taken the normal way that these comics work. Of course. Yeah. Um, so the overall plot of this series, at least the way it starts, is Harley Quinn uh, finally realizes that she's being mistreated by the Joker and tries to strike out on her own, build her own team of supervillains, and kind of, kind of... Uh, put on airs or or become respectable in the supervillain community. It's it's really interesting because they perceive the automatic critique that they would get from a lot of fans, which is, why is this so feminist? Whereas, uh, <laughs> you know, you're interpreting these characters in a way that is uh, ungenuine. You know, Harley Quinn could never beat the Joker. They're perceiving, like, and in, in the second season, they have that very blanket critique of uh, a nerd who is reading, <laughs> who, who like, critiques the show without having watched it. Cause, yeah. You know, clearly this is going to ruffle some feathers. This is an interpretation of beloved properties. That's going to happen. Yeah. But it happens so much more so when the protagonist is female. Yeah. People are really, like, we see this, saw this for She-Ra. <laughs> Neckbeards really <laughs> love hating women in cartoons, and I, uh, it's it's hard to connect with, but they're, they recognize it. And they recognize it in the first storyline of this is about a woman realizing she was in a domestic abuse partnership mm-hmm. and trying to reinvent herself. And if you look at that and you are like an incel, you know, it, it's easy to interpret such things as being pandering. Right. But they, they clearly know what they're doing with it. Yeah. And it's through the character of the Joker that that becomes so clear. Like, she is mistreated, and that is the impetus for her reinventing herself. They don't do it without laying the groundwork, without it being funny to watch. Like, mm-hmm. they, they do the work to make it earned. They don't just say, feminists should like this, all the leftists should give their seal of <laughs> approval, thumbs up, stamp on this, because right. it happens to have good social policies. It's It's actually... Also an excellent show. Yeah. In, you know, and that's kind of an unrelated piece of it. So um, it's just hard not to bring that stuff to mind. I think one way to think about it is, you know, there are so many Batman villains and uh, DC villains generally. It's, it's very much a boys club. Yes. But because Harley Quinn is so popular, she's like the best selling DC female character yeah. right now. Um, the way to to make it so that we root for her, even the people who normally would like push back on 
uh, uh, you know, more of a feminist angle of things, we all love an underdog. We love somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't have powers, who's trying to make it in a super-powered world. You know, Deku yeah. from, from My Hero Academia. Of course. And now we see in these situations that are put up this, this uh, flawed but understandable individual with no powers who's just... She's just, got gumption. Just Yeah, she's got, she got spunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's got spirit. Mm-hmm. She's just, like, beating her way up the, up the ladder and commanding uh, uh, these Batman villains that are ridiculous on the face of them and just... Because she knows what she wants, because she's willing to do whatever it takes to get it, um, we get to see that rags to riches story, and it's it's very compelling on a narrative level. And then they threw a bunch of jokes in to make it very palatable to a comedic taste as well. I didn't think about the idea of it as an arc about um, why it's so important to, because like it, like you said, all the Batman villains they're resting on their laurels mm-hmm. more or less. Like, they're established. They're established. They don't have anything to prove, so they stop. They're old money. They're not on the grind anymore, <laughs> right. right? They're 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 not out there trying to make moves and and uh, and they don't have ambition in the way that Harley does. It's mm-hmm. really it's really a story about ambition and not taking no for an answer of of proving you of worth uh, on outside your, on your own. outside of another person, yeah, yeah, outside of your relationship to this much more established figure. Which you know that core of it comes through very clearly. It's really easy to connect with. A deeply insecure show. Yeah, well, I mean... Well, it's, it's, it's a secure show about insecure people. That's it. And it. I think, I don't know, as, as a person who struggles with some insecurity about my own worth uh, relative to others, uh, it's, it's very easy for me to see that portrayed in a show and connect with it emotionally. Mm-hmm. But then also the part of me that likes cartoons is like, hey, this is good cartoon. Yeah. Uh, so I loved it going in. I like steamrolled through the whole thing. I in, wasn't expecting to like it as in much about as I two did. days. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you that you enjoyed it. When, what was the point when you realized that you were gonna that I was gonna be that you were on, that you were pretty game? Uh, you know, when Kite Man showed up, that was a big <laughs> indication of the spirit. Whoa! Did somebody did the wind just say Kite Man? <laughs> <laughs> but no, like I, I think you know it. It really is interesting the way that it reflects on the character, which is. Once Harley does break away from the Joker, and we spend less time with the Joker, we spend more time with more unique plot lines, but with well-established characters, that's when it takes off. You know, when she's just like, oh, should I leave the Joker? Should I stick with him? Maybe I'll give him one more chance. I don't know. Right. That indecisive, you know, regressing Harley Quinn. It's very it's very relatable. That, it's relatable, but it's harder to watch, and it's, it's more uncomfortable. So once she starts, you know, breaking bad or, or breaking worse as it is... Um, it's it's really good to see her, you know, stand on her own two feet and just take down anybody who who won't respect her. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it's an interesting um, kind of way that the arcs present themselves. So the, the first season is all about her trying to gain respectability, become a member of the Legion of Doom. Not just her, by the way. Her and her team. Her and her team, because like, let's take some of the side characters, the the, the crew yeah. that we have here. Um, Clayface is portrayed here as just an enormous goober. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's even, like, in the Riddler's crew at some point. Clearly very useful mechanically. Yeah. Kind of can't do him. anything. <laughs> but, like, people just don't want to be around him because he's, like, way too much of a drama nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of his... Uh, it's sort of how, how he tries to get onto that stage, such as it is, uh, without really having the personality, like he he hitches his wagon to Harley's, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like they're both trying to get onto that bigger playing field together. Psycho 
Also, yeah, he was in the Legion of Doom and got kicked out for um, non-woke behavior, I guess. It's very funny that, like... <laughs> Lex Luthor's like, we have standards Yeah, here. we don't, we don't, uh, we don't want to promote that brand of evil, <laughs> uh, which is, is yeah, a very funny way to put it. And I, I absolutely believe Lex Luthor saying, we're corporate evil, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're evil, we're not monsters. Right. Um... And Dr. Psycho trying to reclaim what he lost so that he, you know, doesn't suffer that blow to his ego, which in his case could literally kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, King Shark uh, trying to find an excuse that is justifiable for leaving his responsibilities as an heir to the throne of the deep. Yep, glad they didn't touch on that much. They didn't! Can I... I want to, like, bring this other piece on it. Uh, Poison Ivy ends up dating Kite Man. Sure. Great. Great. <laughs> But there is, like, a lot of pushback about, like, Harley being like, why are you dating a C-lister or a D-lister? Yeah. Um, there's, like, a lot of... Class commentary? Maybe class commentary. Maybe just, like, uh, I don't know if it's necessary class commentary, but, like, societal status markers of various villain types mm-hmm. where, like, you shouldn't date beneath yourself almost, which is a very strange thing for Harley to say, right. given that she is trying to kind of, you know... Uh, be upwardly mobile beyond her station. Yeah. So, like, the idea is, is like, what are you talking down to Kite Man for? <laughs> You're in the same boat. You're just trying to distance yourself from that place. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's sort of like Kite Man's kind of a weird inversion to it. The, there are so many ways that we could interpret this because this is a show about... Like, yeah, and I didn't think very hard about this. Like, this is all <laughs> off the cuff, too. Yeah, but, th- but this is a show, you know, Batman villains all have some sort of psychic disturbance. Mm-hmm. And then Harley Quinn, especially, having been a psychologist, like, trying to interpret their actions and thinking, like, well, is this projection? Is this compensation? Is this, you know, a reflection of the way you were... Like, there's so many ways you can take it. I just kind of assumed that it's like, oh, you know... Kite Man is just the joke, and we just need to treat him as such? Yeah, and it's not quite that. I do not think that he was treated super well in the final episodes. I think that's actually the decidedly non-Kite Man behavior to be like, I want Poison Ivy to be, uh, you know, a, a mother to my four children going to soccer practice. My housefrau. <laughs> what is that? Like, it, it didn't seem correct for him to put Ivy in a box because of how much he has been enabling and embellishing and like just kind of worshiping her mm-hmm. in total in her behavior i didn't it didn't strike me as like an attempt to get her into his box yeah and keep her there yeah i mean kind of limits kite man kind of serves as whatever loser you need him to be at any I time <laughs> it just it frustrates me because i think he's one of the more uh charismatic characters in it's the confidence. He makes it work. You know, you meet this person in real life and you don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> it's very good, though. Uh, I, I really... They get a lot of mileage out of losers who don't realize how much of losers they are. Yes. That's uh, Jim Gordon. That's uh, <laughs> that's Kite Man. That's uh, Clayface. All of them. Yeah. Then we're jumping around the different characters a lot, but yeah. it, it just goes to show like how well-realized they are. Mm-hmm. I think... Not all of them are cleaving super hard to their comic book roots, but enough of them are where it's, um, you know, it, it helps drive things in a very natural way. Yeah, it's all believable within the framework that they give us in the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to, like, let's pull the mind back a little bit because uh, I'm not as familiar with Harley Quinn, historically speaking, yeah. from Batman the Animated Series and the comics. We just watched a clip uh, just to kind of refresh our memories. How, how was Harley Quinn portrayed in Batman the Animated Series? 
In Batman the Animated Series, she was just sort of this uh, wild card who was under the Joker's thumb and resented it in some ways and embraced it in others. Right, and we have all of that in the very first episode of Harley Quinn in the 2019 thing. So it's, you can kind of, it picks up where Batman the Animated Series left She's off. She's even wearing the same costume. Same costume to begin with. And then like in her origin story, such as it is, is her embracing this new costume, this new kind of theme for herself. Yeah, which I which I like a good deal. Um, we, we we watched the clip currently, uh, and they you know she made puppy dog eyes at Poison Ivy to get her to not blow up the world for right. whatever reason. And I think you said something to the effect of, "Oh, it was always there." Yeah, I mean, even in the the Batman the animated series, you know, they're they're uh, leaving the Joker behind to deal with Batman and jumping in a hot rod and Thelma and Louising it mm-hmm. <laughs> together. Yep. Um, this is this is kind of just how they've how the relationship has been uh you know the two the two main girls uh, in the in a boy's world of of gotham i i did got the distinct vibe of like the two executives on the board of directors who happen to be women mm-hmm. like you you need to just be friends to survive like there's no <laughs> one else you can really talk to hmm. almost um but it, we we do get some good chemistry in their relationship it's believable. even back then yeah um we should i want to touch on the romance uh of those two characters in the new one Mm. real quick because uh i don't know how you interpreted that so in the you know in the as it starts off they're just relying on each other they're each other's only friends uh harley's really leaning on her for support early on and Mm then um poison ivy starts dating kite man even she might not be able to verbalize exactly why, but he's charming and he's you know supportive. He's just in he's, his own he's way. very without ego. Yeah, yeah. She's not because she says a lot like I hate people and like who are the least peoply people around her? There's Shark, a Clay Man, Doctor Psycho, and Kite Man. <laughs> um, and then in the second season, and I mean there were subtext of this before, but then, yes. then we really start to see Harley and Ivy uh, uh, viewing each other through a romantic or a sexual uh, aspect, which. I didn't mind that much. I know it felt uh, it could feel fan servicey or just like uh, pandering or, or not necessary. But those two characters have such a long history with each other that I was just kind of like, "Oh, she's going to be dating Kite Man." Th- those two are definitely going to end up together. I don't understand what, right. what this Kite Man subplot is about. I mean, I like this. You're, le- you're leading him up to heartbreak. Just end it early. <laughs> I'll be honest. I I have very strong opinions about the. You know the mm-hmm. the relationships of uh, Poison Ivy and uh, Harley and Poison Ivy and Kite Man, and the way I think about it is that um, Harley and Ivy very clearly sexual feelings for each other. Sure, I didn't buy romance. Like I I thought of it as just like a intense friendship that also was sexual. Yeah, if, sexy if that friendship. makes sense. Yeah. Sexy friendship. You understand? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I've had those. Um, it's it's um... in my perfect world. Uh, this is a you know, a throuple situation <laughs> where, yeah. like, you know, hell yeah, like, hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're like, I think that, I think that, um, Poison Ivy and Kite Man, like, having date night is super cute. And then they, like, yeah. like, I can't imagine the same thing for Harley and Poison Ivy. I, it, that seems much more just like, that, that seems like a much more just like a close female friendship that happens to be also physical. I, I think it's a surprisingly complex interaction yeah. because. Not just on the sexual or romantic angle, what you have is Harley, 
who is really just trying to ascend, right? She's trying to go onward and upward, leave the past behind. Mm -hmm. And then you have Kite Man, who did his best. He had this sort of, like, like youth, like, I'm going to be somebody. And now he's starting to realize, like, you know, I like lying down at home, some good quality binge binge watching. (laughs) He was like, the sentence? (laughs) Ivy, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you in our modest, ranch-style, suburban home, grilling, meatless proteins, of course, and just a lot of chilling on the couch, binging some premium streaming content, and looking at our phones, no judgment style. Ivy, you are the wind beneath my kite. No judgment, just vibing. Something like that. <laughs> no, 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 it was good. It was because like the entire episode, it, they went to Themyscira on like a like on like a spot treatment thing yeah. that's hosted there. God, this this show is really good. It just goes everywhere. It goes everywhere and does whatever it feels like it needs to do. They they go there for like a bachelorette party where Harley kind of brings it up to Ivy. Listen, do you really want the normative? you know, marriage to Kite Man that mm-hmm. you've been kind of crafting with him. Wouldn't you rather be with me? I'm more exciting. It's I'm, wild. Yeah, yeah the, the younger, hotter model. Exactly. Yeah. And then, as though he was aware of the framing device of the whole episode, when they get off the plane and <laughs> Kite Man comes in, he's like, hey, but, hey babe, you want to go home and watch uh, watch Netflix for four to six hours? <laughs> <laughs> just like, to four, four to six hours. Just like, as, just framing it the way that everyone, it was already... That, we all know that feeling. I like, come home after a long day, I just want to zone out until it's bedtime. You get it. But it's, the, the, the dialogue, the writing of it is so self-aware yes. that, that it really comes through in a in a positive way and and i like that you know ivy is torn between those two aspects of her life because Mm -hmm. she doesn't care about the glory or being the best she's clearly like god tier powers (laughs) controls most of nature right but she doesn't really care that much so she's torn between those two aspects of her and i think it's really just at what point in time are we at that she tends more toward one of them than the other at the end of season two totally into harley because you know, there was a sting operation at the corn factory where she was getting married, and it was a very exciting time. But in between that, during the bulk of actual seasons, when right. she's just trying to stay as far away from the drama that surrounds Harley at all times, you know, I believe it when she's with Kite Man, just like, listen, I know there's a Monster of the Week thing going on out there. I just don't have the energy, and if I'm here, it'll get resolved without me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, yeah, I think it's when are we watching Ivy mm-hmm. uh, determines whether we feel like she should be with one or the other, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's intentional. Like, I don't think it is... Certainly the second season is set up as a, oh, it's a mistake to be with Kite Man because he's boring or dearest or whatever the reasoning actually is. But the whole entire first season is, like, why Kite Man is good and Harley's maybe not the right choice. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping that in a third season they get some sort of, like, stable... Uh, three-body orbit sort of situation going on because it feels like the show could be heading in that direction and then just like being like yep we resolved all the romantic stuff yeah and that's just gonna be that's gonna be how everything is and we're gonna go in a third direction yeah so i think that raises the question of where does the show go from here yeah Uh, you know like in the first season it's about harley trying to become in part of the legion of doom and then in the second season it's a lot more of Hey, me being on top didn't work. It was all a lie. The whole system sucks. Let's just destroy everything. Right. And so I think a third season, the way you would have to do it is to have her and Ivy going into the rest of the Justice League's business and, like, have them, you know, have an episode 
hanging out with Green Lantern's villains and seeing what that's like. Oh, expanding the Legion of Doom to, yeah, like, I, I a larger like, scale. I feel like they told the stories they need to with most of the characters that we've seen so far. Yeah, I don't... There's nothing else that Joker can do for like, me. Like, the Riddler uh, tried holding the city hostage, tried, uh, you know, gaining prominence and status, eventually took over a college, got busted down, got swole, and then tried one more time to break it out on his I own. Love, I love like, Buff Riddler. We've looked at as much of the Riddler as we need to. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have anywhere to go. There's no more Riddler. We, we've decided what Joker is going to be. We've decided what the Riddler is going to be. Bane is kind of out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we do need to expand the roster. I almost wonder if... Because, like, we can't actually do the Justice League. It's got to be on the villain side of the street, right? Yeah, so uh, The Flash has a ton of villains that are gold for this. Very human characters with uh, contradictory motivations. You know what it could be? What could be good is that uh, there is a new up-and-comer. Mm. And so it kind of flips the whole rags-to-riches thing in its head where, like, she has to defend the championship belt. I can see that. Uh, I think that could be good. I don't know who would take that spot, though. Yeah. Um, it would have to be another Bird of Prey or something. Oh, yeah. You know, Black Canary or... Uh... Well, it, it has to be a villain, though, is the tricky part. Well, they weren't all villains. And there's not quite as much representation there. I might be thinking of a different superhero group. But, uh, I'm, um... I'm specifically <laughs> thinking for what would work in this show, and it needs to be a villain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And we because... already used Wanda Sykes, and I can't think of a third <laughs> one. Because, you know, Harley is and Ivy are villains. You know, they clearly do evil shit and hurt people for no reason, but they're also not evil in the same way that a lot of the other well, that, are. Yeah, that's the Queen of Fables really cuts that line pretty clear really in that one episode. Where it's, where it's just like, I'm going to kill this whole family of picnickers. You have to you... end the bloodline. Because <laughs> this guy's going to get lightning powers yeah, if you don't. <laughs> that's very good. And it's like, yeah, that's plot savvy right there. Yeah, that's, uh, she understands. She's been around the block. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the portrayal of the protagonist in this world superman batman uh wonder woman very briefly aquaman showed up aquaman yep you know i think they are definitely uh more one-dimensional they're they're sort of parodies of themselves where they're these are the the all-powerful gods and we're just seeing them as undignified as we ever have (laughs) yeah as bratty as the bratty teen Greek gods that are they're kind yeah. of modeled after. Yeah, where, where Batman is just sulking because his body got broken again and he's he just brooding to elemental. <laughs> or uh, or you know Superman who's just very excited that he gets to pull out some of his lore because nobody actually cares about his lore. When uh, <laughs> that that is very cute. I really like the one where uh, Robin is trying to get a villain and Superman shows up and just sort of belittles Robin into his <laughs> face. Um, it, I'm just, like the the uh, I'm sure. Why are you here, Boy Scout? I'm sure there's a cat up a tree somewhere, and he, he's just like cat up. Are you the cutest little? <laughs> and like he's got like just a lot of dad energy that I yeah. wouldn't expect a Superman to have. It's it's sort of like the opposite of what we get in a Batman the animated series. Or I'm rewatching Justice League for right. my other podcast, uh, The Watchtower, which I do with Gary Lane, and. Um, so a lot of the time we get spotlights focused on John Jones or Wonder Woman or Green Lantern, and they come across as more multidimensional as the villains do. Mm-hmm. The villains, even in those stories, are a little bit more well-fleshed out than the heroes are in this. But I think that the idea behind Harley Quinn is we're going to look through the DC you know, world through the lens of a villain. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, all the villains become more textured. Even the Joker, I would argue, is more textured. We'll talk about the Joker. There's a lot there. Um, 
But yeah, I, like when you when you view the world from the villain's perspective, all the heroes look like schmucks. Yeah, let's, let's take Aquaman for an example. Yes, because uh, you know um, in the Justice League TV show, Aquaman is very serious, very cool. He gets his arm cut off. God, but it's so good. Also, an emissary of a kingdom that spans you know three quarters of the world's surface. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, treat me with dignity. And the way that it appears in Harley Quinn is we actually first see him, Clayface, putting on his face, being like, huzzah, I am the ruler of the deep. And we're like, okay, that's Clayface. But then Aquaman shows up and he does the same fucking thing. He's <laughs> exactly <laughs> as like, dramatic. Okay, yes. To everyone else, this guy is trying way too hard to be respected. Yes, he, he's really taken, but it's not out of character for other continuities we've seen him in. Mm-hmm. He is a monarch. He has a self-importance <laughs> that is not uh, well uh, understood by the surface world. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, I w- in, what was it? I don't remember what the episode was called, but it's like some episode seven or so of Justice League. When Aquaman shows up, he uh, he talks to Superman. Superman's like, you can't just kill submarines with our people <laughs> in it. Um, Why not? <laughs> and you have to come to the UN and air your grievances. And he walks just out of the water there's just a bunch of beachgoers being like why what, what is what am i looking at here walking through traffic just a bunch of cars hitting him and bouncing off like oh, you swim in my water and pick up my turtles how is this different how is this any different uh he just has like a no fucks given attitude for most of the surface world and mm-hmm. you know it doesn't make nonsense that it would be, that it would be portrayed in like a theatrical uh over dramatic hyper focused sense mm-hmm. so uh i really do love love that um. Yeah, uh, I, I I I ran out of steam on Aquaman. Yeah, but but when yeah, when you bring him into Harley Quinn, what do you have to say about him? Well, he's always wet. You know, <laughs> he's probably smelling up the joint with seaweed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And 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 like also the idea that uh, everyone kind of talks down to Aquaman and how like there's that one moment where Harley Quinn is like, "There's a swimming pool over there. Oh yeah, let's just put a bunch of saltwater fish into chlorinated <laughs> water. Water's water, I guess." <laughs> Like just very personal. Like, yeah, they're very personal, very hyper vigilant. Like I know way more about you guys than you know about. It, it's it's I, it's got to be like it's so defensive. It's got to be the feeling that uh, people from other countries have with Americans. Oh where, like, yeah, they know all about America because of course they do because we broadcast we, everything. Yeah, because we control all of pop culture. And it's like, oh, you're from Romania. Uh, tell me literally anything about that. Oh, you don't know. Oh, it's all Dracula's. Everything's Borat. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is Borat. Everything is cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it makes sense to me that somebody from a different culture like an Atlantis or a Themyscira mm-hmm. would just be hyper vigilant against that kind of uh, against that kind of American exceptionalism, imperialist attitude. Yeah. And that they would just like fly off the handle as soon as somebody would make fun of them. And because we don't need to have the decorum here, we can treat it as obnoxious as it would be. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about the Joker and particularly sure. the, the portrayal. So you know, classic. You are uh, you are, um, you are historically a big Mark Hamill as the Joker oh, fanboy. How could I not be? It's wonderful. It's very. It is very good. It made me worried that you would not accept something else. Alan Tudyk, who is uh, a fine actor, I like him in things. I can never <laughs> remember how to pronounce his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a great job as the Joker, and I think it was better than having Mark Hamill do it again. Because, again, the perspective is different in this show. And so we need, you know, from Batman's perspective, the Joker is this this unhinged, 
looking for laughs doesn't you know i don't care about the money it's about sending a message but even more wacky yeah here he's a lot less unhinged and a lot more i want to say like brand savvy he yeah i i he's less like in the moment he's unhinged but in the broad strokes he's like yeah i'm gonna go to meetings yeah that's what i've got evil plans and you just need a different he does jokes more because it's that's his thing because it's his thing rather than he really feels it like whenever he does like the jokes it feels like he's just um playing to playing his type more than actually he's going through he doesn't emotions feel it. yeah he doesn't really feel it anymore is how it felt to me yeah um, uh and he's so petty and it's all directed at harley quinn which of course it kind of has to be sure but it works yeah like it, it totally reads that he would be as petty of a shithead that as he is. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. like in the second episode when he, they show up at, like, just even reciting the plots are really fucking <laughs> insane. They go to uh, the penguin's nephew's bar mitzvah mm-hmm. for the whole episode. <laughs> That's the stage That's of it. That's all we're doing there. It's the only thing we're doing. And it's great. <laughs> and the Joker doesn't even want to go at first. He's like off doing some other Joker mm-hmm. stuff. And then Bane calls him up and says, hey, Harley Quinn's here. And he's like, not on my watch. She's not allowed to have an identity that isn't me. I'm going to show up and talk down to her Mm -hmm. publicly. Yeah. And it all reads. (laughs) Yeah. In in the animated series, if he abandoned Harley Quinn, uh, it would be because he's got other manic, you know, wildness to catch up on. Right. Here, he's doing it to get to her. Yes. Um, and that, that change in the perspective, make it, it requires a different read. It requires a sort of, like, focus that the Joker hasn't really had in an animated series before. He hasn't had to. Yeah. She was a given up until kind of this show. We didn't care about her, her wants and needs as much. Exactly. And, and, like, I, you know, in the first, in the finale of the first season, when they're kind of having their big showdown... He's like, I, 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 it's not a lie. I actually don't know what to do without you. Mm-hmm. You're like my weakness, <laughs> and that's why you got to go. Um, I, I like the idea that this was kind of always in their relationship, this idea that if Harley were to leave, that he wouldn't be able to handle it. It's similar to his relationship with Batman. Right, but she, he would never leave the Joker because the Joker keeps fucking shit up. Mm-hmm. And it was unthinkable in any other continuity, any other Harley Quinn property, that she would be able to leave him. Yeah. It's only because we're working through her point of view and that's kind of her whole story that she's able to break away from it. But if you look at any of the previous incarnations, this could totally have been an element of it where like it is just as codependent from Joker's side, mm-hmm. but there's safety that she will never leave, so it never gets explored. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think and I really like how he becomes more and more unhinged and less like it, it's very funny that he's having a harder time with it than she is. Yeah. And he can't admit it to himself yeah, for yeah. a long stretch of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that is very good to me. Yeah. I, I, and I it's, it's very, very well like observed. domestic abuse style behavior that reads so naturally you, from his character. Do you remember that episode of Ugly Americans where there was the two-headed worm monster and they got a bisection because uh, one of them was abusive to the other one? No. Yeah, so they got... They I got, can see it in my mind's eye. They got cut in half, 
And at first, the dominant half is, like, doing fine, and the other one, like, doesn't know what to do. But then they gain independence, and the other one's like, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, just, I, I can't live unless I'm a parasite to this right. person. Right, yeah, like, uh, like the, the Simpsons line, I, I finally figured out what I can offer you, Marge. Complete and utter dependence. That's not a good thing, Homer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, they do have a codependency of sorts. It's just that uh, it was never challenged on Joker's part. Yeah, yeah. But it's so clear throughout the entire telling of the story that that is a major uh, trigger for him. It's just, it's always the Batman one that breaks, Mm -hmm. not the Harley one. Yeah. But it makes sense that he would apply... Right there in the first episode, you can see that he is just as committed to Batman, if not more so, than to Harley. Yeah. And it's only when one of those relationships starts to unravel that he realizes, oh shit, I lost something that's important to Mm -hmm. me and has to try to gain ground. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting character for such a shit heel in this show so there are four really important relationships in this show there's harley and ivy mm-hmm. there's ivy and kite man yes. there's harley and joker and then there's batman and commissioner gordon this is beautiful <laughs> this is confusing every like what we, we just watched the episode where um he wants to where commissioner gordon yeah i guess like we need to okay unravel what commissioner gordon's deal is in this show too he is a he is like every worst trait yeah he's he's mostly negative personality characteristics uh, he, he's perpetually going through like cop burnout yeah i guess is the better way to put it yeah well he's he's completely out of control of the situation living of course in, he is living in what gotham would do to a cop yeah <laughs> yeah li- living in you know world where all of the superheroes and like psychopaths all take place in a single city and the only guy who helps you uh, is doing so presumably grudgingly. Yeah, he, he always feels like on the lower end of that interaction. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely... And that's something that I think was really nice that they kind of put in the spotlight uh, of, of their relationship where, like, Batman clearly doesn't not care about him. <laughs> it's just... Um, Batman seems to be putting on airs as well. Like, I am above, you know, Commissioner Gordon. I yeah. shouldn't need to have him as my friend. And then we see his, like, screensaver is them at, like, a barbecue or something. Yeah. Um, And, like, he clearly does care about Commissioner Gordon, but I think he's also kind of suffering from this class dynamic of, like, I I shouldn't need to care about this person. He is just a cop. No no one should ever forget that Batman is also a deeply unwell person. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like, the the entire Batman facade is just a gigantic Band-Aid that when you tear it off, it's like, oh, I... I've never had skin there. Yeah, it's, but, it's but been atrophying you, for years. But when you look at Commissioner Gordon as someone who's so in over his head, who spends his nights turning on the bat signal because he he has no control and it's like he's like any, he's like flicking his bick. Yeah, yeah, he 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 just needs any semblance of approval from this god tier figure, mm-hmm. um, and the way that it expresses itself makes him make their relationship very funny (laughs) yeah like the idea that like the the very explicit dependence that commissioner gordon has on his whole identity for batman to give him his approval and that batman is just not innocent of that but like doesn't want to acknowledge it yeah because comic book gordon is like extremely competent he's like you're a damn good cop he's a damn good cop he relies on batman but he's also like on the ground taking care of things and here they because he's a hero and not a villain they don't need to give him that adherence to the source material they don't need to give him that respect so he is 
as the villains would see him, this guy who doesn't know what to do other than to call on Batman and, and beg him for help. Yeah, he's he's exceedingly belittled. Uh, the whole Two Face arc of him taking back the oh yeah uh, GCPD is uh, is one of my favorite moments for him, um, especially because they have that very self aware thing of like, all right, time to time to power through all the difficult parts of breaking an alcohol addiction and get right to the part where I'm kicking ass again. And they do like the montage. <laughs> montage yeah. Um, but the, but one of the scenes that we saw um, was there's some tree monsters destroying the park and Gordon's like I gotta bring in the tanks and Batman's like do not bring in the tanks and he's like I wanna I want. <laughs> yeah. and he's like Commissioner I can't hold your hand why not why not <laughs> he's, he seems so pained <laughs> yeah. like it's I, I don't think that I wouldn't go so far as to like say that it's like a, like a homoerotic attraction on Gordon's part but no. like there is a codependent kind of father-son sort of thing going on mm-hmm. like I, I need daddy there to hold my hand is is something that kind of comes through his character pretty frequently for sure yeah um, and and especially so because we also get his uh his daughter involved in the second season yep Batgirl and we get to see how pathetic a person he's come he's become through her eyes as well to really sell the idea that oh he's not a father he's a son yeah. This is a child. Yeah, he's he's not uh, he's not capable mm-hmm. <laughs> in the way that uh, Gotham needs him. And we're, to be. we're saying him to be a fairly pathetic person, and that's certainly true at times. It it doesn't really capture the majesty of just how funny he can be. <laughs> like this um, extreme. Like he's he's always drinking as the like he he always behaves as though he just chugged a gallon of coffee yeah. but he's always drinking a lot of whiskey and, and the circles under his eyes the constant stubble like he's not a happy man it, it, like every shot of him has his like tie undone and like his shirt not tucked in mm-hmm. and just he's just like in a state of physical distress <laughs> brought on by all the stress of trying to deal with all this bullshit going on yeah yeah um, it just comes across very very comedically mm-hmm um, looking at some of the other characters, uh, Harley's crew especially, like we, we mm-hmm. touched on them briefly. Really, um, Dr. Psycho is kind of the most tex- textured of these. Um, Clayface and King Shark are more like, they can be the muscle. They're like the and Staller be, and Waldorf of the crew. Yeah, yeah. We, we're going to give them some like, we need A-line here. There's nothing super funny to transition from one bit to the next, yeah. but let's just give them something. And sometimes it hits, and sometimes it doesn't. They work okay. I, I do agree that uh, the jokes where... When 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 Dr. Psycho says a joke, uh, the point of the scene was lead up to that joke. Yeah. When the King Shark or uh, Clayface says a joke, it's to get the scene away from the joke. Yes. Like, it's a, they're, they're used as palate cleansers or just, like, space filler. But the psycho ones are very, it's it's not, just the show is so utterly self-aware and he is like one level outside of everybody else in how self-aware he is. And it works because he's not a bat, he's not a Batman villain, he's a Wonder Woman villain. <laughs> he's just, he's doing commentary so on the whole like, show. So this is how you guys are doing this around what? here? Yeah, like or or like he'll watch uh, just how sad the Robin Superman Harley Quinn situation at the Daily Planet is, and he's like talking to King Shark, and who's like filming it on his phone. And he's like, "When you post this, can you just take me out of this whole situation?" <laughs> <laughs> just being very offhanded, uh, talking about yeah, he's the, he's probably my favorite joke teller of the group. Yeah. The the thing that hit me when I was watching him was it felt like he came from Family Guy. Oh yeah, he's I, a very I, I, Stewie Stewie Griffin kind of model. Yeah, yeah, just 
um, you know, when when Ivy says, you know, I can't control uh, magical plants. He's like, why would I know that? Yeah. When would that have come up? Right, right. It's <laughs> just taking us out. Just, just one level removed from the actual show. Yeah. He, he's he's willing to, to criticize in, in real time. Did you care for King Shark or Clayface at all? I liked Clayface a bit more just because I like the high energy theatrical loserism. Yeah. Um, rather I... than the like... I'm not being used properly, like, vaguely. I don't know if you're aggressive, if you want to lean into or away from the tech nerd thing. Like, I just didn't get as good a sense of King Shark. I I found him... I found King Shark funnier than Clayface. For the warm Well, he's he's just so everyman. Yeah. Like, he's clearly not utilized he fell as... in with the wrong crowd. It's just that, yeah, he's in a setting wherein being a shark doesn't really matter mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, the idea of your extra, your bigs from Final Fantasy VII crew, mm-hmm. is, like, gigantic humanoid <laughs> shark is so funny to me. It yeah. Just, it, just, it just tickles my fancy. Mm-hmm. And I have less of, uh, less enjoyment of, uh... Of the big Shakespearean thing, I got I get tired of Clayface. Well, I like that he can like shape shift into different things and just immerses himself so fully into a role uh, that's, so quickly. Like, that's a cute trait. It, it's really endearing. Like when he he pretends to be a sorority girl to uh, oh yeah to break into the Riddler's university. God, this is some of his best character work, <laughs> and he's just like getting along well with all the college people. Yeah, going through a hard breakup with, like, Kevin or something. For for no reason other than to maintain the role in his own mind. He can't separate it out. Yeah. Like, I appreciate his bit more than the actual, like, uh, presentation of it. That makes sense to me. I think the bit is very good. Uh, There is one more quote-unquote member of the crew. I got nothing out of Cy. Cy Borgman? (laughs) I like the idea. Uh, I think he... um... The voice is fun. Yeah, Jason if, Alexander. If nothing else. Yeah, he's doing doing the old uh, upset Jewish guy. Yeah, it's just old upset Jewish guy who was Ivy's uh, landlord and then tried to kill all of them and then wanted to be part of the crew because he was bored. I got the sense... There wasn't... I, <laughs> just like a lot of details that don't go anywhere with him. Yeah, he, he was a bit character in some comics not as long ago as a lot of the other characters and I got the sense they were just like this name pun is too good to not use here it's it's very weird um he he definitely doesn't strike me as necessary for the plot I think it was just a way to get another another dude in there yeah yeah he had his uses uh as did uh Frank Poison Ivy's like living houseplant fun guy oh also just kind of I mean like I don't have a problem with either of these characters but they are very much background to me it, it's like it's I way... think they could have sunk even further into the background. That weird side plot of uh, Frank and his weed dealer yeah. going to Mexico. Yeah, it just I okay. I I recognize the humor in the jokes that you're telling, but, uh, but I don't I appreciate. <laughs> I don't appreciate my focus being dr- shifted to someone I have no feelings about. Yeah, it, it gave the sense of we need to make sure there's a certain number of moving parts in case we need to tie a couple of plot threads together. And that that. You know, I I can respect that on like a scene craftsmanship kind of mm-hmm. kind of way. It just uh, focus on those characters is definitely a cost whenever you do it, and they did it more than I wanted them to. Yeah, the focus is and should remain on Harley, Ivy, Kite Man, the, the crew, <laughs> the crew, the crew to some degree, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Wanda Sykes when necessary, when when absolutely necessary. I think <laughs> you'll find that, she- that big dick giant kills everything. <laughs> um. I do want to say something about the way that this show is paced. Yeah. So I thought it was um, 
really interesting that like okay in a normal show if you know that you're going to be doing seasonal arcs the the status quo should shift at the end of the season right that's typically how you do it mm-hmm. where she wants to join the legion of doom that should happen at the end of the season it doesn't it happens a little after the halfway point mm-hmm. and then we have logical fallout of that and then we have progression from there and we end on what it ends up being a much more dramatic shift in the status quo um, which just feels really good when a show hits that accelerated pace. Yeah, it's it, it is a fast-moving show. You are correct. I mean, it's necessary in the first season to hit all of the beats of the distancing oneself from a toxic relationship. Yeah, uh, thing that Harley goes through. Then they do it so well that when Joker shows up in the second season, it's not at all about like is Harley going to get back together with him because yeah. we we have wrung that rag dry. Yeah, uh, and so like that is so well executed in the first episode. We had hit all the parts of it, like the the realization he's no good for me, the try to get back at him uh, in spite of myself, the um, you know you know attempt to kind of craft my own identity the getting sucked back into the relationship once he realizes that he needs me the you know they they go through all of the steps to make sure that arc is fully fleshed out as opposed to doing what you would normally do in a more dramatically paced thing which is where you would have the season like the the season ending cliffhanger thing of are they going to get back together or not yeah yeah and then in season two you know the first few episodes it's like gotham is destroyed and has been split up into these like feudal different shows total different show it's like uh final fantasy 6 just we're in a new world and halfway then through. halfway through season two it's like we're back to regular gotham where there's like you know, oh, we have to, like, plan our wedding <laughs> registry. The direction on season two was not as clean as the first season. And, like, we're going on a bachelorette party. Like, the, again, like... I, I love the bachelorette party. They they moved the climax up so that they could get in more, like, a wider range of episodes in a season. Yeah, and I, I think that, like, I mean, there were certain episodes in the first season that didn't particularly fit the moment very well. They were like necessary to get from one place to another, but they didn't really comment a lot on the situation. Like yeah. uh, the Queen of Fables episode. Yeah. There wasn't really a lot there. What was Harley doing? Stealing a weather machine that ended up breaking anyway? There's like there's kind of no point to it, right? Yeah, yeah. It was just a, a day in the life of Harley Quinn as she's trying to create some distance from Joker and establish herself as her own villain. Um, there isn't really anything that gets done in service of that arc. But the show creates enough space that you can put those in without really breaking the momentum too much. Yeah, and because of that, it's there, there's surprisingly little chaff. Most episodes are pretty uh, pretty progressing of yeah. the plot and of the action. The only there were only a few times where I was like, I need this scene to not happen anymore. Yeah, one of them was the king shark under the sea bit. Yeah, doesn't need to happen. Doesn't need a bit. Not a character we cared a lot about. Right, and like, give him that much focus uh, betrays his purpose to my mind. Like, he needs to be the 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 everyman who yeah, makes one. Everybody liars. needs to be the hero at one episode. So if this is your turn. It's, yeah, and it, like a uh, sigh turning into a car. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which in isolation is kind of funny, and I love that they did the Harley Quinn Highway callback. Yes, that is very good, and they had like the Mario Kart loops and like mm-hmm. an item drop off thing. Right, it's very funny. Yeah, they're they're willing to get ridiculous with it more so than even in comic books. How did you feel about the uh, the style, the the animation and art style of the entire thing? Because it it is more Family Guy than. Um, 
Batman the Animated Series. Things are very colorful and bouncy, starting right off with Harley Quinn's new outfit. Yeah. It's not that monochromatic, or not monochromatic, but that, like, um... The red and black. The, the classic red and black deck of cards kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the, remember the original Batman the Animated Series, they used black paper and drew on that. Right. There's no mistaking that that didn't happen here. No, everything pops with color. A wash with color. It's been so informed by, you know, recent animation where... You can have a funny, darkly toned, uh, fast-moving show, and it can look bright as hell because now people don't get confused about what's for kids and what's yeah, for we, adults. Yeah, we're, we're in a post-Bojack society, yes. <laughs> is the thing. Yes. Oh, the horse is an alcoholic. Oh, but there's a turtle wearing a turtleneck. I see where <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, can I can hold both these concepts in my head at once. <laughs> like, oh, she just destroyed that guy's femur. Uh, but also, like, there's this evil bar mitzvah, and Bane has the best voice ever. <laughs> Do you want to talk about... Uh, we've been doing it to each other for the yeah. past few weeks, semi-unintentionally. <laughs> this is just fun to do. It's just a very fun, easy voice to, to slink into, to, to find myself in the shadows to destroy you. How dare you, Joshua? You know that's a corporate card. Yeah, you, you have a much... Uh, uh, you ride the line between unintelligible. Yeah, you're doing much more of a. I'm, I'm Clayface by way of Bane. No, 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 it's it's a different one. I actually want to like pause here for a second so I can figure out what exactly. Uh, you're you're doing kind of a Sean Connery almost. Oh yeah, a, a little bit. I'll take you down. I'll line up the shot. What 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 are we doing? I I don't. I'll take Heitman. This <laughs> isn't. I just wanted my big boy chair. <laughs> It's, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know why I'm able to do it. It's like I, I sort of warble between each side of my mouth without yeah. ever committing. Yeah. I, I do think the... Shenanigans. This, this is a great, like, we have a bunch of Batman villains. One of them's got to be dumb as hell. Let's it's all make Bane. fun of Bane. It's got to be Bane. Yep. That, that, no, that's that's perfectly cogent. That makes perfect sense. There there's They don't even really bother to personalize any of the because like in the harley quinn lens all of the vil, or all of the all the good guys all the protagonists get one dimensionalized mm -hmm. also all of the villains whom are antagonists to harley quinn get one dimensionalized right except for you know ones who are important to her like the joker but like two-face penguin none of them have anything right there's nothing to them other than i am a penguin <laughs> i am a i am a i like the 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 scarecrow character like oh yeah he has like one moment that is kind of funny with the joker where he pulls off of batman's mask <laughs> and like joker cusses him out for it's like why would you do that there's <laughs> no mystery now i thought you wanted to know <laughs> <laughs> i could have done that at any time if i wanted to know <laughs> now we gotta do this all day <laughs> um yeah the what else is there uh, I did want to speak briefly. Uh, we're doing a little bit of Carton Cast Formula here. We did animation. Now we're doing music and sound. Uh, the late motif game on this show. Look, I didn't need to tell you all of the reasons that I love this show. You could see it. It was evident. Mm -hmm. This is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> the late motif game is so fucking strong. In that first episode, when Harley Quinn kind of turns the tables on Joker and, like, really hits her stride, gets the baseball bat, starts, you know, blowing the place up, and it goes into her theme, which is, like, really fun rock and roll like bounce house kind of music mm -hmm. um there's the batman theme which is well interpreted through this through this lens 
like it's still just as dark and serious but doesn't uh doesn't insist upon the scene so much like it quickly shows up and gets out of the way so it even though it's still like a serious Hans Zimmer-esque kind of piece it uh is brief enough that it almost seems like a parody of itself yeah it doesn't have a chance to to do what that type of score is supposed to do there's the uh the the kind of whimsical musical uh flute uh or, or like uh woodwinds theme for poison ivy the mm-hmm. the thing when she's kind of using her powers that comes across really well yeah um yeah and like all of those just work incredibly well on me i don't remember which one of them is like my most favorite it's probably kite man does kite man have his own theme oh, he must right he's I, probably got like the straightforward triumphant you know get some trumpets in there <laughs> i don't, I don't he, remember <laughs> i don't think he actually does the the heart the poison ivy one is the one that stands out mostly in my mind because it's it always is it always heralds a turning point because no one really understands that's another nice thing is uh the whole queen of fables women aren't allowed to get too powerful oh yeah in our world kind of thing right and poison ivy is kind of a living example of that anytime she tries even a little bit she just completely demolishes all the competition Mm -hmm. but she that means she shouldn't be trying that hard uh, (laughs) she's sort of like self uh she's she's okay i don't know how to how to phrase it she she's put herself in a lower tier out of necessity after seeing what happened at the queen of fables and that for that to be referenced in whenever she does actually step up to the plate as referenced by a leitmotif problems over battles over yeah we win yeah and that that drives home the idea that she's kind of between these two aspects of herself like if i tried i could be great but that seems like a lot of work and i'm tired yeah she she seemed most at home when she was doing like some environmental good slash regular evil She's an introvert. Uh, with Harley. Like, like the time when she found the board of executives of a uh, toxic waste dump. <laughs> and, like, fed them toxic waste out by the pier. And they just kept exploding. <laughs> yeah, and they're just having kind of a very ho-hum conversation in the background while it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> like, this isn't the thing we're focused on. We're focused on, uh, we're focusing on our feelings and talking. Yeah. But this toxic waste force feeding thing is going on in the background. Yeah, that's where she seemed most happy. And, like, I think that, um, you know, finding her... Uh, her internal thing uh, uh, growth in the season three, I think, would be really good. That would be really because we've I would really love only that. seen her in relation to other people. Because when she's on her own, she's almost like inert. Yeah, well, that's really what's really great off. about the Queen of Fables arc is mm-hmm. like Queen of Fables is a ambitious extrovert like Harley Quinn is, not like Poison Ivy is. Poison Ivy doesn't ruffle any feathers or you know fronds, yeah. I guess ferns. Yeah, it doesn't, she doesn't have any, any ferns. Doesn't have no ferns. Uh, a little one Sykes there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she she wouldn't have tripped over this line that Harley Quinn is going to trip over. So it makes sense that she never really progressed beyond. You know, she's dismissive of the Legion of Doom because they're assholes. Mm-hmm. But it's also because like she knows that she wouldn't. I, I think that there's an element of like I know I wouldn't be welcome there. Yeah, if if I were to ride this power train as far as it goes, who knows where I'll end up? And also, like, it's just, it's more, she's not ambitious in that way. Mm-hmm. She's not doing it to create an identity for herself. She's just doing, quote-unquote, evil when it is a reasonable thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's like almost like a hobby for her, whereas for Harley, this is a career. <laughs> What what do you see as the as the third season? Where where do you see it going? I like what you said about Poison Ivy 
having kind of that uh, kind of it being a poison ivy heavy season. Like they've they've the second one definitely focused on her marriage, but it was more about Harley kind of figuring out what uh, poison ivy means to her. I would really like to see more poison ivy stuff. I would love to see her interacting with Catwoman more. <laughs> that is so fun. Oh, where Catwoman is just very clearly, you know, she's also an intro, like she works alone, but it's by choice. It's not because she suffers like crushing psychological fear of other people's rejection. Right. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I idolize this person, Cobb Squad. <laughs> it's, it's really neat to see like these people have very strong, very clearly expressed emotions. But not all of the time. Like, they can go away from their established personalities because who has the same personality 100% of the time? <laughs> it's something you don't often see in a show like this. Right, and, like, they're not always focused on the job or on the villainy or what have you. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the time they're focused, like, they're doing it just to do it because that's that's what they do. But a lot of the time they're focused on, like, their actual emotions. For, like, in, um, you know, I'm listening to Orb. As you are. Yeah, yeah, Venture Bros. Venture Brothers podcast. I watched through all of Venture Bros recently. I can highly recommend that anybody do that. Yeah, it's a great show. And something that they keep mentioning is that uh, we like seeing them doing the laundry after all the cool stuff happens. Mm -hmm. We don't like actually showing the cool stuff. I get something of a similar feeling with Harley Quinn because we're not... We are in the action sequences... Yeah. We're so often there talking about things that are not the action sequence. Like, we just trust the action sequence is going to get handled somehow. Yeah, you're, you're not... You're That's not, not the important part You're not here. re-watching an episode looking for the action sequences. We just They're watch, good action sequences. They're well done. They're, it's just they're not what you're there for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is something that they had already, maybe not perfected, but at least trained up in their Batman the Animated Series days. Yeah. And then they just put more budget and tech at it, and so, like... Obviously, it's going to be awesome watching Harley Quinn flip around and using her baseball bat. That's part of the reason I'm there as well. But when they're fighting a giant, when they're trying to evade its gigantic hands, we do not... I, we barely register that a giant is there. Yeah. Like, we're focused on the smaller things, quite literally. We're like, why didn't I realize that you were dating Kite Man? It's because you don't really think about people other than yourself you're so hyper focused on yourself that like other people giant barely... just crushing that yeah they're, they're, she's <laughs> swiping they're swiping she's doing backflips over them yeah when when we see commissioner gordon in a tank we don't want to see that because we're going to see a cool tank battle we want to see it because batman's going to call him and like are you in a tank i no. told you not to be in a tank and he looks so sad like he looks it's like why did i even get this tank? he's so dependent on the tank for like a sense of self-worth yeah that he doesn't want it <laughs> taken from him because then it shows how impotent he is mm-hmm. yeah yeah this is just an incredible show yeah really um, quality and i didn't really like harley quinn up until now the character i liked her in um injustice yeah in the injustice comics where this very similar thing happens. Joker dies. She has to reinvent herself. Yeah, and it's and less antagonistic and domestic abuse relationship because of it, but it's that those elements are still there. Yeah, it's they're still felt. You 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 never. I like Harley when she's like evil but not mean, which she can do when she gets away from the Joker. When you, when you have something like Injustice, where, um. You know, the, the line between hero and villain is very blurred. And you can just have her be, like, 
wholesome and trying her best and you can root for her mm-hmm. that's i think where she she really suits much better but she's also very the the one thing i want to really emphasize about the show and about her relatable that's yes. that's what really sells these emotions to me dare i say it hashtag relatable hashtag relatable <laughs> moments these uh the thing is, we're in a DC property. There's bullshit flying around all the time. So much. <laughs> and uh, for it to still tug at the heartstrings, they also have a leitmotif for like the let's sit down and hash out the end of end of episode conversations, mm-hmm. like a very wanna yeah, yeah with uh, Harley and Ivy a lot of the time. It's 90s. We have to have a, a conversation about, oh, well, I always thought that you felt this way. Yeah. How yeah. could I? So, like, for it to actually tug at my heartstrings as much as it did, um, you know, like the like the moments where uh, in the first episode, Poison Ivy presumably dies, mm. and everyone reacts to it as the tragedy that it is. Like, yeah. quote-unquote, Clayface dies a few times, and, like, Psycho clearly, like, he, he, he is aware that he should be grieving, but it, he, his heart's not in it. <laughs> he can't quite muster it. But Ivy is like a, a darling to this whole group by this point. Yeah, She's yeah. pulled them out of the fire so many times that everybody is stricken. <laughs> like, the, the moment just sells it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, uh, it's a very relatable show. It, it, gets, it, it gets in there emotionally in a way that Justice League for instance doesn't yeah you it's you, not about the moment it's not about the emotions yeah you you buy it a lot more because mm-hmm. you're able to see them as flawed individuals more yes there's a lot less plot and there's a lot more just sitting in it yeah they, they play up the characters mm-hmm. uh to a in a way that i didn't find alienating it's easy to find the joker alienating that's sort of his whole shtick yeah but he's very known he's a very known quantity in this mm-hmm. there there's an episode he's where they... just a abusive boyfriend that's it <laughs> yeah. that's it there's an episode where they go into i think harley's brain yeah uh, and if this was the justice league we would be spending five minutes on exposition of like this is how it works when you go into somebody's brain here are the guy this is what will happen if we don't get through that gateway in no, time, no. oh, we got to get through the gateway in no, time. No, 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 no. In Justice League, and trust me on this because I've seen more of it recently seen than you it, have, yeah. uh, five minutes of it would be the Flash and <laughs> Green Lantern trying to fight a gigantic like Joker skeleton jack-in-the-box thing. Yes. Uh, it would be a lot more in the action. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't be quite as much, you know... Uh, you know, uh, Grim Reaper Frankie Muniz running around <laughs> in in Harley's brain. That's right. <laughs> God, that's a funny moment. But like, it, it's you know, it it, it the show's got two modes. One of it is like relatable emotional content. The other mode is like quick fire Statler and Waldorf routines. And then there's some action, and it doesn't last that long. It's high intensity. It's, it's, it's never the focus. Yeah, it's 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 serving a function, which is so funny to me. Like I love shows that have presumably do have a lot of action involved in them, but we never focus on it. Yeah, I want different feasts for the eyes and the ears. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, Zane, I think we're, we're pretty much wrapping up here. Pretty set. Are there any moments that you want to call out as particularly funny or uh, impactful to you before um, we stop talking about this show? Let's see now. There is one beautiful bit in the episode we just watched where... Mm. 
we've been seeing Kite Man getting talked down to by every character, including Poison Ivy, for the whole season. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they're in a position where they need somebody to be able to fly them off of a gigantic beanstalk. And everybody is so happy that he showed <laughs> up. They're just like, Kite Man! And then it close-ups on Poison Ivy, who goes, <laughs> hell yeah. And like with the half lids, like, that's my, that's my man. <laughs> Uh, it's just so cute and for him to, her to use the, the catchphrase like that. And I love that they let Kite Man be as silly and fun as he is, because in the comics, when they're trying to make him seem cool and like, oh, this guy didn't just come out of the 60s, like, no, he's a real tragic, gritty backstory guy where his kid died flying it doesn't a kite. Work. It does not work here. He's just a dingus who loves kites. It's very funny. Ah, man, that's why I like kites. They're so, they're so simple. So so clean. <laughs> Don't do a lot of running. <laughs> mostly use kites. Mostly mostly use kites. Yeah. What was the other one? Where? Uh, oh man, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like specific uh, kite man moments. Oh yeah. No man, I get it. You uh, the world puts so much pressure on you, Ivy. If you have a superpower like controlling all plant life or having a kite, <laughs> that's not a power. <laughs> <laughs> There's no box there. It's so good. Uh, yeah, I, I love kite man. I love when. Um, uh, Harley sets up a situation where the Joker has to choose her or Batman. Oh, yeah. And it's such a soap opera thing that they actually do it on a talk show. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. With just the audience screaming and people watching on TV. Tony. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, 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 what is it called? The scroll? The, um, yeah, yeah, the Chiron. The Chiron at the bottom of the screen whenever there's like a news program or where they're on Tawny. Mm-hmm. You got a slot on Tawny? Um, <laughs> th- those are all incredibly funny, like little in joke things that I wouldn't want them to devote screen time to, but if it's just like a background gag, mm-hmm. like, uh, what, what, like what? What are some of the things that they do? Oh, tanks for the memories. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Tanks, t- but no tanks. Tanks, but no. Kamish uh, says tanks, but no tanks. Right. Just like I wouldn't want that spoken out loud by like a like a shark, yeah, like yeah. a king shark or something. But just like seeing it, clearly they. It's a different tier of joke, and they recognize that. They recognize it, but they also like allow for it. There's enough space in such a silly toned show for mm-hmm. that to exist. Yeah. And this is presumably the same universe that has. Tragic figures such as Batman. Sure. And just, like, for it to also be Kite Man is uh, just... You get the sense from Batman that he was more tragic once, and now he's just brooding because that's that's his thing. Like, he knows that that's what's expected of him. Yeah, almost like in the same way that Joker is just doing gags because that's what's expected. Like, it's almost a brand thing Yeah, he's punching well. in, punching out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one other thing that I think we both love is Buff Riddler. Buff Riddler is incredibly funny. <laughs> we fun. mentioned it briefly, but just like, God. he gets buff in season two, and the, that's kind of what he does. It's very funny to me that, like, in this Mad Max post-apocalypse wasteland that is Gotham in season two, he is capable of breaking out of Harley Quinn's control and decides not to, because it's, at least here, he gets three square meals a day and all the cardio he could want. <laughs> just constantly flexing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all incredibly good. Uh, go watch this show. This is a good show. It's a good show. I can't mean, wait to see where season three heads. Yeah, and like I mean, I just to not to belabor the point, but DC keep making animated series. Like uh, keep making animated movies. I I love Under the Red Hood. I have seen a few different things from DC properties in terms of like the Justice League movies, the, the um, 
Teen Titans movies that they do in the animated capacity. Like, uh, my algorithms on YouTube constantly are saying, hey, you should check this out. You'd probably like it, given how many times you looked up Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn kissing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and rest assured, I like it. The internet, they know. They, they know what I want to see Robin do. Well, they made me want to see it. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, they, they, they're, they got us hooked. Right? I wasn't looking, but boy, did I find it. Yeah, they, 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 the first taste was free. Uh, but now they have found a reliable market. Zane, we got to stop talking about Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you want more DC stuff, Ben talks about uh, the Justice League on the Watchtower. I do, I do. I need to set up a, a, a link in uh, at uh, fancybat.com so that we can go toward it. But if you want to check it out for right now, it's at the Wax Nostalgic Network, which you can uh, you can go find uh, on on. Uh, I think uh, you can go find pretty much. Uh, Right on the internet, right next to them hot pictures. Yeah, it just it, it's the internet's got three things: uh, affordable slippers, Robin kissing everyone. <laughs> He's impulsive; he kisses people at random. Oh yes, of course. Uh, and Wax Nostalgic Network, where uh, we do the Watchtower, which is a episode by episode rundown of the Justice League show from two thousand one. It is really fun. I've been enjoying it like crazy, and uh, I think that you would also enjoy it if you got some love for DC properties. The fact that you are watching it episode by episode saves me a lot of time from having to watch all of the episodes for the Carton cast. So yes, <laughs> yep. Uh, until next time. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Up, check it out. My girlfriend's calling. What up, babe? It's Ivy. It's my girlfriend. Yeah, no, I'm just designing a kite. Yeah, trying to put my own little spin rooney on it. What's that? I'll head right over. Oh, Titan! Hell yeah. I tossed a hot sauce packet out of my mouth inside my pants. It's Siraj. Our fave, fave.